favorite things. Blue jeans, see a red-haired girl. Sweet peanut butter, a slow-burning candle. Cup of tea and a good book. The dance of the reindeer and also Pachinko. Yeah, Pachinko. Pachinko was so cute. Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Mandy. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Mukloski. Uh, I'm Larry Wilcox from Chips. And oh, you fucker! <laughs> Once again, Dingus ruining the synopsis by anticipating jokes that Kelly Wand will make. Speaking of, we have Kelly Wand with a tagline from Mandy. I feel like I shouldn't be wearing pants for my bereavement in the bathroom scene. <laughs> that's a little long for a tagline, but that, wow. that's what you're going with. I have three other taglines. Sweet. Hit us with them. Go. That are shorter. Ha ha, Dingus, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Very good tagline. Kelly One, you're, you're starting on a high note. You have two more. How can Cage be? is best since Snowden. Remember he was in Snowden? No, he wasn't. No. Who was he in Snowden? He was in the – He he's like Snowden's first boss at the beginning. He's like, yeah, the government's fucked, man. Wow, I do not it's like remember totally straight. that. It's huh. like the Chris Elliott role in Abyss. It's also it's flat like, out wrong because Nicolas Cage did a fantastic movie last year that we'll talk about in a minute. Kelly Wan, what is the final tagline for Mandy? It's leaving Las Vegas, but shoeless. Okay. Huh. All right. <laughs> I feel like Dingus. I should be wearing pants for my bereavement in the bathroom scene. <laughs> All right, well, Dingus, take it away. Tell the listeners a little bit about Mandy without spoiling anything. I also Can't want to move know, these pants. what's the rating on this movie? All right, this week we saw Mandy, mm-hmm. a 2018 American action horror thriller movie about how kids and goblins agree that Cheddar Goblin is the best. <laughs> it was directed by Panos Cosmatos. <laughs> And written by him with Aaron Stewart on. Oh! Wow. It stars Nicolas Cage. Uh, no no pants in the scene. Andrea Riceborough. Linus Roach. Ned Dennehy. Sorry. Ned Dennehy. I kept thinking, is he, Brian, is he related to Brian? No. There's no. more than one Dennehy. It's like Hepburns. You know. Ned Dennehy and Bill Duke. Mm. Uh, That's how you say it. Yeah. Mandy is rated not rated because uh-huh. yeah, why everything, not? Everything happens, including smoking. Right. Exactly. Okay. See, and look, the world didn't end. We didn't rate a movie. Kelly, one. So if you were to rate Mandy, what sort of things would you warn parents about? Well, unlike the MPAA, I do my job, so I would tell parents. <laughs> I would warn them in advance. There are some. Fantasy literature book covers shown on screen, and also what penises look like on drugs. <laughs> uh, Mandy, also, yes, Kelly Wand. Mandy is at 82 on Metacritic. The average review from various ratings is uh, the average rating from various reviews is 82. On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive for Mandy, 93% of them. See, they Cinem- didn't like they weren't pants. Cinema score uh, that didn't. This didn't get a cinema score rating because it didn't have a wide theatrical release. But if it had, cinema score polls would have clocked this movie in at a D minus. That's so higher than Mother. 
Right, exactly. A little bit higher than Mother. Right, slightly above Mother. Uh, but below The Witch. I think this is one of those movies that makes rating systems all look stupid. Like, okay, D+, plus, thank you. Like, it's not even going to tell you anything about me. Well, it... Um, it, it, if you look at the ratings for this, because Metacritic and both Rotten Tomatoes let audiences... Like, like people who go to the website, they can instead give ratings. And this is one of those movies where the ratings from critics uh, are higher. way higher than what normal people give it. For instance, on Rotten Tomatoes, where people tend to put everything at like 85%, uh, 71% of the, the feedback on Rotten Tomatoes for this was positive, which is terrible from audience feedback. The kind of people who go to the Mandy page and are like, yeah, I want to I rate this. The fact that it's right. at 71 is pretty low. Uh, on Metacritic... Uh, whereas the average rating from critic reviews is at 82, the little user rating, which is slightly different, but still, uh, is 6.8. So, uh, yeah, Kelly Wand, this is a movie for smart people. Speaking of which, Kelly Wand, why don't you tell us <laughs> what you perceived as being the events of this movie with a brief <laughs> synopsis of Mandy? What should I call such a thing? Of course, it's the Mandopsis. What else are you yeah. going to do? Mandopsis. It right. sounds not very me too, but... Mandopsis! Yes. While heavy metal plays, some red words in cursive are all, put headphones on. Then some more red words are all, embrace the mystery. Then some more are all, a manly handshake ensues. <laughs> then one's all, tell me about it, I'll say. Then it's, why'd you say that name? <laughs> then where's the baby? Then nice. Then S-A-F-T-P. Then Mandopsis. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cage's job is to keep timber poachers from cutting down his trees. <laughs> I don't need dialogue to understand story. <laughs> Cage hacks at a tree and tries to get it to fall on him, but it misses. Uh, some words are all the Shadow Mountains, 1983 AD. I lean over to one of the boogans sitting beside me and go, Best year for movies ever. That night in bed with his wife or girlfriend Mandy... No, <laughs> uh, no. Who's there? Eric Strada. Eric Strada who? Eric Strada from Chips. <laughs> this exchange leads to sex. The chick who plays Mandy leans over to me and whispers, he was gone in 60 seconds. Oh. <laughs> Beside her, Tom Cruise leans over to Henry Cavill. They love Mandy. They ran out of hold. No. Tom Cruise leans over to Cavill and whispers, Cage was going to play Superman, too. That's how hard it is to play Superman. <laughs> Soon you'll be doing Mandy. So watch and learn. <laughs> Cavill's all pro. When Chips was on, I wasn't even born yet. How about you? <laughs> Stupid Cruz and Cavill talking during Mandy. He and Cruz start angrily making out. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, did you? But Mandy brings people together. Speaking of, Cage's wife gets bored during sex with him and starts reading a John Norman novel called Jungle Temple Bloodletting and Bronze Tits. That night... So in Spanish it means with air? What kind of title's that? 
I also don't get face off. There's no hockey in it. Weird. Andy's off. That's cool. Hey, uh, sure sounds better than that stupid book about the galaxy I read today. What's your favorite planet? Jupiter. How come? Because it's weather shit. That's wild. Mine's Saturn, because we discovered it first, so a lot of ancient myths. Yeah, pretty sure we discovered Earth first. Probably. (laughs) Changed my mind a lot, Galactus. Galactus isn't a planet, idiot. It's not like Cybertron. Yeah, but it eats planets. That's what you asked, wasn't it? It's changing the rules a little. This leads to sex. <laughs> I lean over to Neil deGrasse Tyson sitting beside me and go, Jupiter's Galactus is Taco Bell. The next day. <laughs> Would he laugh at that, you think? Neil deGrasse Tyson think that joke was funny? Or would he, he would just love go, it. No. Uh, yeah, he seems to he seems to have a good sense of humor, which is what that joke requires. The next day, Mandy gets sad because she sees a dead deer who fell asleep in a meteor crater. <laughs> Whatever happens to the meteors is my question. Like that Mexico one, the dinosaurs, it's like an empty hole. Like, where's the rock go? Never mind. That night, Cage and Mandy watched Channel 13. The picture's mostly static. That's what we watched in the 80s. Now it's Green Arrow. Cage has a bad dream about tigers and farts awake. Uh, uh, uh. My, my character's thinking something. Uh, if, if it's a black rainbow, ain't that really just like a black curve? Face off. Mandy's all, did I ever tell you about the starlings when I was a kid? Beside me, Brittany Allen's all, Andy's all, Dad hated them because they ate his cherries, so he made us all bash them with crowbars. (laughs) That's my uh, version of the dad story from Keep Me Alive or whatever it's called. (laughs) Here's this, 83. (laughs) Not sure if I'd use a crowbar on cherries. Maybe more like a whisk. What'd you do? When it was my turn, I ran away. Knock, knock. Randy Oaks. I mean... Knock, knock. I did a rewrite for Dingus. Sorry. Jesus. But Mandy's not in the mood for chip sex, so she picks up her novel and reads aloud. The sorcerer's apprentice looked at Jay Baruchel and said, Uh, let's just open a broom store. Some elves shot arrows. The woods looked green. The end. Wow. I can't believe the TV version won so many Emmys. She takes her dollar bill that she keeps in the middle of the book to remind her to buy something cheap and smiles at it. The book covers all children of the new dawn. (laughs) Cage is all, I like the part about the dollar bill. The next day, some LSD Christian hippies in a van see Mandy walking by the side of the road. (laughs) They have the same reaction we all would to that site. That night in a motel room, Jeremiah, my carpet matches the drapes. 
What's wrong with you? That girl by the side of the road. I feel naked without her. Naked! You know how I hate that feeling when women are involved. I need you to tell Gary over there to use the horn of Abraxas and some biker demons to bring her here. Actually, first, you talk to her by a cash register for a minute. <laughs> Maybe I'm just high. <laughs> She's not that exciting. Maybe having you as the only girl in this group is plenty. She's all, awesome, I love you. Later at a wooden general store from the 1850s that I guess sells doilies. <laughs> hey, y'all, what you raiding there? Um, say, uh... It's a novel? <laughs> Jeremiah says, I suck dick like a Kansas pig eats corn. I mean, hmm, novel's cool to see you real soon. Your husband's so well, a scorpion stinger. <laughs> <laughs> Bandy watches the comical old lady walk slowly backwards out of the store cackling. She walks into a pile of cans, knocking them over. The stock boy holding the last can in his hand. Sighs miserably at us. It goes, just once, can it be an old man? <sighs> That's why he's upset. That night, Jeremiah sends his bald friend and that guy's sulky teenage friend out in a van to some mountains at night. Since the bald one has a graceful neck and is Caucasian, his name is Brother Swan. He gets out of the van, pulls out a rock with some holes in it that says Abraxas on the side, and blows a few feeble notes. Then he gets back into the van. The teenager's all, what now? <laughs> Brother Swan's all, now we wait. Teenager sighs. He opens his mouth and rolls down his window partway, then rolls it down some more, then rolls it slowly back up. I lean over to the alien in the red gimp suit from Black Rainbow standing motionless beside me and go, been on that date, usually a swan. And they're the... No. Some motorcycle demons show up. Swan gives them a green jar of sewage to drink. <laughs> beside me, the mob from Upgrades all, protein shake! <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere out there's someone who's heard all the podcasts and gets jokes. The demon says something like, Mud for mud. Swan nods because he knows this means that the biker demons will kidnap Mandy for them as long as the cultists give them the fat, blonde, curly-headed kid from Bad Santa that hangs out with them. <laughs> he was like their intern. Meanwhile... <laughs> Or their PA, their gopher. Meanwhile, Cage and Mandy sit on a couch and watch Rushmore. Cage smokes. <laughs> they bore each other sillier and go to bed. Lightning flashes in their bedroom till demons show up. Cage and Mandy lie on a floor and stare at each other as usual every night, but this time as captives of biker demons. Later, Mandy wakes up tied to a chair and the white-haired old lady slapping her and going, He thinks you're special! Cultists make Mandy welcome by giving her some eye drops 
and jabbing her in the throat with an insect stinger. And they lead her down a hallway to Jeremiah's red sleepy couch room. <laughs> it really is just a literal transcription of what happens in the movie. The easiest thing I've ever written. Everybody lazes around the red sleepy couch room and watches <laughs> Jeremiah hit on the new girl. <laughs> That'd be great to do on drugs. Watch that happen. Jeremiah loosens his robe sash and goes, Hey, girl, I know what you're thinking. I sure hope that sexy man in the van I saw on the road a few days ago abducted and drugged me. Yeah, I didn't really notice you or the van. It recognized you, so in time, you'll recognize me. That's how love works, I'm pretty sure. Point being, we both felt it, so, yeah. Except for me. Black music? Nope. Just Marion Zimmer Bradley novels and uh, early Andre Norton. <laughs> Piers Anthony. <laughs> Sold out. <laughs> They're good. Oh, I'm sure you like the Carpenters. Who knew they could sing, too? Oh. Yeah, um, I think Cage's character was into them in Ghost Rider. Well, if you think Dead Man's Curb was an intense song, here's something that'll really blow your mind. He puts on a record and turns the volume to max. Jeremiah was a righteous man, a righteous man, a righteous man. Jeremiah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremiah suddenly stops clapping and moonwalking to see Mandy looking bored. <laughs> Stunned at that sight. Brother Swan, are you sure you injected her with the red scorpion? Because I turned the volume up pretty high and she's not dancing. Oh, it's a scorpion? So, Mandy, did you feel it, what those lyrics were trying to say? I wrote those. Me. Well, the farting parts. Mandy's all, yeah, I think you're going to need a bigger scorpion. Need to enjoy <laughs> that shit. Jeremiah sighs, sits across from her and goes, I was willing to stand next to the glittery ones, but those scumbags didn't know the path, man. Wait, which one of us is talking? Faces are getting confused. <laughs> See? Would that be happening if you weren't into me? Or heavily sedated. Anyway, my neighbor's dog told me to tell you to be gentle, like me. He whips open his robe and shows her his dick. It's kind of like his song. <laughs> <laughs> He's all, huh? Like looking into a laser. Oh, where? Jeremiah. And he's all, wait, so you think that song's about you? Uh, well, there's only three Jeremiah's in the group. The other two aren't exactly hung like this. So, uh, yeah. She points at his penis and laughs. I lean over to Kavanaugh and whisper, fucking chicks, man. Am I right? You know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, my. You see? Jeremiah masturbates angrily at Mandy, but even this fails to impress her. So I guess while the bikers watch evilly, Jeremiah goes to his boudoir and cries at his mirror and asks it what to do. It doesn't say anything. So Jeremiah goes to where Nicholas Cage has accidentally tied himself to a tree, <laughs> put the bullet in a gun, 
<laughs> he improvised that, by the way. Spins the chamber, hands the gun to a girl cultist, and goes, Show him how much you love me. She tries to shoot herself in the head, but misses. <laughs> Guess she doesn't love him. The bald guy walks up to Cage, holds up a dagger, and goes, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, this is called the uh, Cool Knife of Abyssal Knight. Uh, yeah. We're out of Braxis. That's the awkward <laughs> You have two of these. He stabs Cage in the off screen. Then they drag out a sack. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of that in this movie. Then they drag out a sack, hoist it up on a rope, and pour water on it. It catches fire accidentally. The bald guy's all, <laughs> darker the sack, sweeter the rope. <laughs> that Nicholas Cage watches as the extra squirming in the sack burns. <laughs> it's like when he burned to death in Kick-Ass and Wicker Man. Less about him. Then he mistakes the sack for the burning plane and knowing, so he spits out his gag and goes, Hey! Hey! As it runs past him. Ah, uh, knowing. Beside me, naked Arnold's all, I burned heroically to death at the end of Interterminator's 2 Judgments Day, and also in that movie, the T-1000, he frozes and then also burns to death. Also, in my draft of Smokey and the Bandit that I co-wrote with Bert Convy in 1977, I barbecue Jackie Gleason's arm before I lose to Apollo Creed. <laughs> the cultists wait for Arnold to finish talking, then get in their station wagon or van and drive off. <laughs> Nicholas Cage tricks the Bob Wire by getting uh. his hand... By getting his hand loose from it. He tricked it. Then he shambles into the smoldering campfire to see if they left behind any unlit cigarettes. Suddenly he finds Mandy's skull. He's all, don't worry, baby. At least I still have this to remember you by. A mild breeze whips up, somehow collapsing the skull to dust. Nicholas Cage goes home and watches a Disney cartoon on TV about a dragon with dairy issues. Cage looks pretty freaked out. You can't believe how incredible the special effects are in the cartoon. <laughs> His eyes are really wide. At one point, Cage points at his TV screen and goes, You're a goblin. <laughs> his TV's all, uh, Thanks, Nick. Uh, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. We'll finish that cartoon later. Nicholas Cage has an erotic animated dream about his wife. Then he gets up and drinks vodka in his bathroom. He gets really into it. Later, after Nicholas Cage knocks on his black friend's trailer door, the black friend comes out and points irritably at a sign on his trailer that says, Can't you read? <laughs> Cage is all, Come for the Reaper. The black friend has no idea what he's talking about, so instead he gives him a sniper crossbow. <laughs> then goes, You thinking of doing what I think you think you thinking of going to do? Think of you gonna done need two arrows. And myself to go like a fat kid through cake. 
have them on one condition. Oh, yeah? What's that? Put them to good use. Some fat kids in my audience gulp nervously. A brown dog in the trailer watches Nicolas Cage look at his black friend and then eventually go, Jesus Christ, let her on fire. Weirdo hippie types, bikers from hell, crazy evil. His black friends all, yeah, sounds like the Blaxicos. Prostitutes vanishing, biker gangs, only seen at night coming down the interstate. Stories there was a chapter ran courier for LSD. Cooked him a special batch. Ain't never been right since. You should go in knowing your odds aren't good, and you'll probably die. That'll be a negative. They live down by Spirit River. Worst part is, they love it. Beside me, Dingus Size gets up and goes, Yeah, gonna go see if I can still catch the end of uh, Fifty Shades Darker uh, next door. (laughs) (laughs) Fun. Idiots. (laughs) He's just reacting to my acting, not the movie. Nicolas Cage builds a smithy somewhere and then forges an axe prop while heavy metal plays. (laughs) Then he drives through some woods. Tricks a biker made out of thorns by shooting him with a crossbow bolt and then hitting him with a truck while the guy shoots at him, which makes his truck flip over. Then has another wife dream, then wakes up and tricks a radiator. <laughs> then a demon tears something of his off screen. That was my favorite shirt. He tricks the demon with a pipe. Cage finds an old couple asleep, then another demon downstairs doing porn and watching blow. <laughs> I guess maybe they're in Cage's house because Cage goes, You in my shit! Like James Franco at Spring Breakers, kind of. So I'm not sure who the old people are. But anyway, Cage stabs the demon until it pukes blood on him. Then Cage does some blow off a shard of the coffee table that he broke during the fight. Long story. Cage does a lot of coke and seems energized by it. For a minute, really coked out and excited about revenge. But not that excited. So he goes, I guess the demon blow is not that good. So he goes into his kitchen. Instantly finds a jar of the gray jizz resting on the counter next to some dirty dishes. Naturally (laughs) tastes some of it. And has visions of hell and satellites. Then he drives to a car fire. (laughs) I lean over to the phantasm dwarf sitting beside me. If the jar jizz is better than cocaine, why was the porn demon leaving the jar in the kitchen with the dirty dishes? Plus, blow sucks for boners. So, porn? What? I don't... It says something dumb like my grandparents would say. Back in the movie, Cage and his axe take on a small extra in demon makeup with a dagger. <laughs> with predictable results. The demon's all, she burns! So he cuts its head off, finds a cigarette in the dirt, and lights it off the demon's burning junk. Cage runs into the Russian roulette girl and her camper, but they both simultaneously lose interest. <laughs> Cage finds another bald man in a missile silo, darkroom developing a picture of a waffle next to a golden pistol, while a tiger in a cage watches dubiously. <laughs> 
bald guy stares at Cage's acting for a minute, then goes, <laughs> yeah, good point. Let's the tiger loose. <laughs> Wanders on off screen and eats a grip. The bald guy's all, that's Lizzie, by the way. Also, you exude cosmic darkness. Can you see that? He points to some black worms by Cage's feet. Then the guy's all, oh yeah, the children? I mean, old cultists? North. There's a cutaway of the tiger yawning. Cage somehow finds a scooter, then manages to get it stuck in some mud. Fucking idiot. He puts another cultist wiping dirt onto his car hood while listening to Hispanic music. So he throws his axe into the guy's head, and he stabs another guy in the mouth with a butter churner. Think. Then he finds a chainsaw. Then he sees a guy whittling a stick into a thinner stick. The whittler turns out to have a much longer, thinner chainsaw on hand, although it's thick at the balls. They duel with chainsaws till Cage tricks him by using his off-screen attack trick again. <laughs> although I guess ADR is also exciting. Then he ties a chain around the guy's neck, which somehow... Drags the dude off screen into the somehow still odd chainsaw blades. Cage walks around till he finds a pyramid in a gully. <laughs> Inside, there's a book on a lectern. He gives it a couple pages, but meh. He goes downstairs. <laughs> oh, it's good. My wife was reading. He goes down some stairs. That would have been funny if it was the same book, though. Like, Mandy's book is the, what they worship. And maybe that's... Never mind. Just a little spitballing for... <clears throat> he goes down some stairs, down a tunnel, then finds a motel room with the white-haired lady in it going, Jeremiah says, I'm the most sensuous lover he's ever had, and that my lips are the rocky waves on a heart-beating shore. Cage has mantis sex with her. Meanwhile, Jeremiah decides to give sobriety a try, so he gets <laughs> naked and walks into a room to caress its stone walls. <laughs> Come closer, walls! God's in this room. Oh, plus my dick. <laughs> White-haired old woman's head comes hurtling in. <laughs> Jeremiah reacts to the sight of her face, Mostly the same way he did when it was still attached to her neck. Kicks it away, cringing with disgust. <laughs> Cage walks in. Jeremiah's all, look, man, I get it. You think I'm partly to blame for your girlfriend's burntness. But those are elucidations you can only dream of. Fuck you, man. Okay, please don't. I'll suck your dick. <laughs> I'm your god now. Nicholas Cage crushes Jeremiah's skull till an eye pops out. Jeremiah's, not Cage's. Stupid prophets never see their own deaths coming. Cage somehow finds a lighter, sets the body on fire, gets in a car he finds, then drives around, fondly remembering the first time that he ever smoked. Saw Mandy fart silently in a crowded bar. Then Mandy's sitting beside him, and they turn into each other's shirts. <laughs> the sky is weird. After some words tell me who coined <laughs> After some words tell me who choreographed the off-screen stabbings, 
There are pictures in Mandy's sketchbook of Cage and a tiger staring at nothing. Carl Jung leans over to me and goes, So it's life of pi, this vitamin! <laughs> I'm all, well, minus the math. The end. All right. Dingus. Uh, Dingus, you get in here first. What did you think of Mandy? What's a movie that's better than Mandy? A movie that's not good as Mandy? And then uh, throw it over to Kelly Wand. Um, boy, I really didn't like Mandy at all. What? Um, what? No, I know. It's not for you. NFT. Uh, You're NFT. So under, I would put uh, a movie called Only God Forgives. Oh, um, I want to see that. That's the only one I haven't seen of his. Well, it feels like this director is cribbing from a number of different directors, from uh, Lars von Trier to David Lynch to... Uh, any number of other people I'll bring up later on. Um, but the over I would put would be hereditary. I'd put this put hereditary way over it, but mainly because of the cult references. Um, I think hereditary at least has an understanding of of character and story structure and uh, and isn't as uh, and isn't self-indulgent and, and like this is. So uh, I'm not a I'm not a fan of this movie. Who's next? I still want to hear your review of Beyond the Black Rainbow at some point. Oh, you will. Um, You've got okay, a tag- good, good. I've got a tagline for you, too. Oh. Uh, uh, my over's Beyond the Black Rainbow because that one's less predictable than this, and it made you kind of work harder to watch it. And its imagery, I think, is going to linger longer in my memory than Mandy's images. Uh, my under is Night Riders with Ed Harris from the 80s or late 70s. Stephen King's in it. It's oh yeah, like, with Tom Savini as as more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. It's George Romero. It has, right, right, right. Of course, yeah. Right. So it has bikers, but he's wearing like a suit of armor. I so see. Right. Like, okay. Yeah, that's good. All right. Yeah, but it's kind of dated and it's kind of long. And I didn't. I was probably the only one of the three of us who didn't find Mandy too long. I thought it was perfectly the right length. That I I thought it was great. And I. It's funny to me that you almost didn't want to do it. Like you're like, oh, I don't know, Mandy. Me? You're talking about? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so should I go then? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, this movie, this this movie is for me. Like I, I Dingus accuses Panos Cosmatos of, of cribbing off other directors, and I can certainly see his influences, but I think the guy is wholly original, and I adore what he does. Uh, if he's going to be one of these guys who makes a movie every ten years, fine. You know, if he's going to be like a Jonathan Glazer and. Uh, I'm okay with that because I think he's got style and vision and it is unique and it's not beholden to anything or anybody else. And this is why these movies aren't for a lot of people. However, (laughs) uh, Mandy, which should be for me, I think Nicolas Cage ruins it and it drives me batty. Uh, We had some friends who linked to a – I think it's a GQ video – of Nicolas Cage talking about uh, different roles that he's played. And it's really engaging to watch him recall different movies and his thought process and talking about how he works. But then he gets to talking about Mandy. And I presume this little video was to help him, was to promote Mandy. Uh, And it turns out that it sounds to me like he basically bullied his way into the lead role in this movie when he was offered the role of Jeremiah. And he told Panos Cosmatos, who... Uh, I don't know how uh, – Penos Cosmato's father is a filmmaker who also does these kind of weirdly 80s overblown movies. Um, 
but so I don't I don't know how well Panos Cosmatos can hold out against a celebrity like Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. But what it seems to me is he wanted Nicolas Cage to play Jeremiah, but Nicolas Cage upon whom it was probably, you know, the fact that this got made probably had a lot to do with Nicolas Cage, uh, that he was attached to it. But Nicolas Cage said, no, no, I want to play Red Miller. I want to play the lead. And for whatever reason, Panos Cosmatos didn't say no and and gave him the lead. And I think Nicolas Cage compromises what this movie is trying to do. Uh, And we'll talk about that because I think what this movie is trying to do, I should love. Uh, So my over is... Another mythic heavy metal slash rock and roll saga, uh, a, a story told by a visionary where all of the actors, I feel, uh, and animators are in tune with what is being done. And it's that same sort of rock saga in a hyper stylized reality. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not a, a movie. It's a video game called Brutal Legend. And I, I think oh. Brutal Legend is what and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that he's cribbing for it, but I think that's the sort of thing that Penos Cosmatos is trying to do with the script. Unfortunately, he's trying to do it, and Kelly Wand hits it on the, the nail on the head here. What's fascinating about Beyond the Black Rainbow is you don't know where it's going, and I adore that movie, even though I am completely bewildered at how he chose to end it, and I still don't understand that, and it makes no sense to me, and it undercuts, I feel, the experience, and I need Panos Cosmatos to explain to me why he ended Beyond the Black Rainbow the way he ended it, but uh, I, I feel that what this doesn't have that Beyond the Black Rainbow has is that unpredictability. This is simply a straight-up revenge movie, and there's no surprising beats there's no point in this movie that it didn't do exactly what i thought it was going to do and unfortunately it was doing it with nicholas cage um so i didn't care for this i knew it wasn't for dingus i'm glad you got to see it kelly wand i knew you would uh it doesn't it it doesn't affect how i feel about cosmatos as a director as a a visionary and i'll go ahead and say that uh but i I didn't care for it because of nicholas cage mostly because uh, of Nicolas Cage and also because – And the predictability. It's a, and it's a rote script. I mean if you want to see this script done well and if you want to see this idea – this sh- oh, and I was going to say my under is what keeps you alive because that's another example of uh, a revenge drama that I don't think is – Predictable what, too. Yeah, but and what keeps you alive has none of the stylish excesses of this movie, which I think makes this more fascinating to me than what keeps you alive. Um, but uh, yeah, if you want to see a rote revenge script – where the script doesn't really do anything surprising, but where the director, a, a woman, I think she's Belgian, named Colin Fargit, Fargit, I'm sorry, a woman named Colin Fargit, uh, has enough style and she gives it the mythic sensibility. She understands how to do the mythic stuff without running afoul of things like uh, narrative continuity and editing. Uh, a movie called Revenge. Uh, which came out earlier this year, I think. Uh, and I think Revenge is is a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a fantastic genre movie that ha- does the same thing. It's just a script, and it doesn't ever surprise you. But this woman instills it with a, a sense of mythic hyper-reality uh, that completely works in Revenge because there's no one like Nicolas Cage uh, stumbling all over it. Dragging it down. Yeah. Did either of you see Revenge? No, I want no, to. You, you right. mentioned you it, it a lot. Before. Yeah. 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 You brought it up <clears throat> in an over-under before, I think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so Nicolas Cage was a big issue for me. So Kelly Wand, you, you that that didn't compromise if you like. You were okay with uh, Nicolas Cage in this. The Cageness, um, 
Yeah, I was. I mean, he's not... Because I'm sort of used to that Nicolas Cage energy, I uh-huh. guess. And so, yeah, I just... I mean, I'm kind of more forgiving than you. Like, if a guy's not good in a role, I'll literally in my head go, oh, he's just not a good talker, like the character is. And so <laughs> I wind up cutting slack where you'll go, that, that you know, the uh, like the psycho chicken... Um, what keeps you alive? Right. Like her drabness is like, yeah, she's so psycho. She's not even an interesting psycho. <laughs> like that's just her thing. Or like the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the televangelist character in uh, Last Exorcism. Like you go, yeah, that actor was kind of hammy. And he was like a TV actor, but he's oh. playing a TV actor who's supposed to be hammy. Oh, Patrick Fabian is great in Last Exorcism. Oh, I love yeah. that guy in that. Man. Yeah. Um, um, so, so the Nicolas uh, Cage thing, it's. I mean, I'm trying to picture him as Jeremiah because I liked the Jeremiah actor. So now I'm just well, trying so to imagine this, him Kelly playing the Nicolas Ima- Cage role. Imagine the Nicolas Cage role being played by someone who you don't associate with that crazy hyper yelling stuff that Nicolas Cage does. Because once he does that, once he becomes like an avenging demon himself, that's Nicolas Cage. That's fully what you yeah. expect. Like I would like I love Linus Roach, and and I would rather see Lin- I would rather see him switch roles and have Linus Roach instead of having him be all weird, just be a regular grounded dude. Because I think yeah. that's what this is a story about is a, a, a sort of a David and Uriah Heep situation where there's a regular dude who's in love with his his wife, and an insane man covets his wife. And steals her and, and, and rapes her, and he invokes dark forces to do it. And so the regular man, in terms of it's a, it's a mythic journey on his his quest for revenge, is converted into that demon. Like I think that's the story that Panos Cosmatos wanted us to watch. But mm. Nicolas Cage is already a crazy, wacky dude. And yeah. When he's, and when he's yelling like that Nicholson. stuff, the, yeah, there's yeah, no the, transformation. The yeah, yeah, but there's no transformation there. There's just a guy who is quiet for the per- first part of the movie, and then after the murder just does his requisite normal yelling that you totally expect. That I, by the way, don't believe. Like, I think he's – I, I just don't think it fits with this idea of a, of a, of a normal man being transformed into a, a crazy avenging demon. And I think that's what you need is someone to just be a grounded – you know, uh, get, get Martin Freeman or something or uh, – John Krasinski, or just get a normal guy who doesn't play a psycho playing Red Miller. And or you're I'm, like a schlub. Or exactly. Or like a super exactly. old man. Like make it a, a stack Because the fact that you know it's like, Nicolas Cage and he's the star of the movie made it like not like too worried Paul about Giamatti his Giamatti or something? Well, it has to be someone yeah. – I, I think it has to be someone who is like a lumberjack because like, that's the whole idea uh. too is that he's a man who's working the trees. And that's the whole thing is he journeys back out into the trees like that – I mean, I got what Panos Cosmatos wanted to do, and I want to axes love that. Axes and chainsaws. He's good with chainsaws, Tom. He can throw axes because he cuts down trees. Well, here's the Don't thing. is Early it? on, we meet him out in the woods, and he's harvesting these trees, and it's so far out that he has to get on a helicopter to ride back home. And that's this idea. It's this distant land where he, he goes to, to mm. harvest the trees. And then later on, when he has to track down the cultists, uh, when Richard Brake – and I love that guy, by the way, the, the guy making the LSD. When he says to him, you know, go north, he rides the ATV north, and that whole sequence is supposed to be – it's supposed to represent that he's going a long, long, long way away oh. because the whole re- – that's the place he came in 
from the helicopter, and he has to oh. go back out there without a helicopter. So he can't just walk. He gets on the ATV, and the ATV gets stuck, and he has to walk the rest of the way. And I think what Panos Cosmatos wants to see there is a long journey or a quest over yeah. – you know, got to work for it. Over, exactly. But what we get in the movie is a ridiculous scene where an ATV gets its rear wheels in a mud puddle. And, and That's you, horrible. I, you get out, and you push that thing out of there. Like I know what Panos Cosmatos wanted to do, but it didn't work in the movie because it's ridiculous – to, an ATV like that doesn't get stuck. You can just lift no. it up out of the yeah. mud. And so it looks laughable because... And a lot of the fights, there are these off-screen death blows. Oh, and the, the fight Blood's choreography getting... is a dime a dozen. There's no heightened reality in any of the fight scenes, and there should be. These yeah, are demons yeah. fighting each other, and this is these crazy yeah. cultists. When He like he whips on the money shots. Yeah. I, I should I should get a feeling of him getting to that denuded forest as, as a journey. Yeah. And I don't. Yeah. It's that, just a shot, and that's yeah, and that's what I think it's it's supposed to be, and uh, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. You're kind of so. Here's also where, I'm thinking about Cage, and it's like here's uh, where I want to tell you also that Cage killed it for me, and I don't think I would have noticed this if it hadn't have been watching that little GQ video when he's talking about. And it's super fun listening to Cage be all excited because he's obviously excited about Mandy, and he was glad yeah. to get to work with Panos Cosmatos. I mean, they obviously had some sort of a rapport going, and he's talking about. Uh, when he and Panos Cosmatos are discussing the character and filmmaking, Nicolas Cage brings up this famous Bruce Lee shot where Bruce Lee karate chops someone, and then there's what's called a, a crash zoom into Bruce Lee's face, and he's got these wide, crazy eyes. And it's a famous shot of Bruce Lee. Uh, and a crash zoom is just where the camera is a popular thing in the 70s, and Tarantino does them, where the camera just zooms in really fast. And that's a famous shot of Bruce Lee. And Nicolas Cage is like, yeah, we should have Red Miller do that. So in the scene where the the crazy – I think she's like the female demon uh, that he she, – she ends up ambushing him with a shotgun. He thought he threw her down a, a, a well or whatever, and after he dispatches her by twisting her head, Nicolas Cage says in this little interview, wouldn't it be cool if we did that same shot of Bruce Lee on me? And that's what Impanos Cosmatos, who I don't think would have cared to do that, was like, yeah, okay, I guess so. And it's in the movie. Like he, he uh. twists her neck around, and there's a smash zoom into Nicolas Cage, and he's doing a Bruce Lee impression. And I didn't need that. I don't need – you know, Bruce Lee is that, – that's invoking a very specific thing. It's a skilled martial artist who is just on the edge of control, and Bruce Lee plays like a character, and that's part of those movies and that storytelling. But – this is a guy who's just out of his and league, he invented it. and he's gotten lucky. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a signature move kind of thing. And this is a guy who's just out of his league, and he's gotten lucky, and he's killed a, a demon who's trying to kill him. He's gotten lucky a couple of times, and he's not a skilled martial artist. And we shouldn't be homaging Bruce Lee at this point in the movie. Uh, but yeah. Nicholas Cage is like, I told Panos it would be cool if we if we did that, and they did it. So I just I don't like the Nicholas Cage getting into my Panos Cosmatos. It's the same thing as in Quiet Place when the mom at the end looks excited that she's killing the monsters instead of grieving for prisons. And so, yeah, like what sort of what sort of tone are you going for? And the yeah. director needs to keep that consistent. A strong director will impose his tone and his vision on on a movie. And when you have celebrities getting in the way of that, I think it compromises the movie a lot of the times. I, I think you're right. And it also, it also kind of reminded me of uh, in episode eight when Ray at the end is like, I like this. And she's like enjoying the Millennium Falcon, but the rebellion just died. She's like, yeah, woo. Don't Same call kind it of thing. episode. Is that the, the Ryan Johnson one you're saying? I can't remember the names of the movie. I can't, yeah. Okay, I don't remember right, the right, titles right. anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't, well, the words Last Jedi, I don't 
evoke anything in me like a memory like oh i better remember that that's the last jedi one because you know that last jedi in the movie remember but uh you're right i still think this movie has good value though like i laughed a lot during it and i really like the actress who played mandy Ed well of course you do story. i mean we, yeah we love her don't we like she's she's, she's awesome. great yeah. and she's in it a lot and the first hour is really good like before it becomes more about cage dingus talk us through your experience watching this because was there a point where you were with it did it lose you at a certain point where all along you just "Eh, this isn't for me talk us through the experience of sitting through the two hours of mandy and rainbow well before i do that let me just say that um chris markinson thinks he's in the minority because he thinks it was long and indulgent but yeah, he thinks that Nicolas Cage is better than Bruce Willis in Death Wish. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> that's yeah. a low bar. I don't know if that's a, that's a fair kind of compliment. <laughs> At least um, Nicolas Cage got out of bed. And, you know, he, he seemed a little invested in the material. Right. Uh, but what's interesting to me is that we had two writer writers who brought up heavy metal stuff. And that's something that totally sailed over my head. We have a writer in her named Brian Becker who said Pettis reminds uh, him of uh, as if he had a subscription to heavy metal slash grindhouse or something. Mm -hmm. And, and this, and this guy, James Miller wrote in and James Miller says, this is his favorite film of the last five years. (laughs) I like his favorite movie of the last five years. And he says, it's like a heavy metal album cover come to life. Which yeah. I thought was a really cool thing to say, and I just as I read these comments, I was like, I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't know this because I wasn't privy to any of that heavy metal stuff. So I think that a lot of this sailed over my head. In fact, when uh, when Nicolas Cage makes the weird axe for some reason, um, he has to have a mold for it somehow, <laughs> and and then he and then the the title. No, it's not a tile card so much as an animation that says Mandy. I thought, oh, Mandy is the name of that axe. That's what that is. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good why, idea, actually. That's why the movie is named this, because it's the name of that axe. But then the axe disappears for most of the movie. So it wasn't yeah. Um, so anyway, my, my experience was that uh, I found this um, really – Really tedious to watch. It was. Because it, it has it, drug users. You love them. They're not I do. To you. I do love them. Uh, at first, I thought they were aliens. Uh, I didn't know they were drug users or demons, as Tom calls them. I just thought they were aliens that they had summoned with that horn of weirdness. Uh, I. I didn't. I. I just. I thought it was just so self-indulgent. But. But I had also just watched. Um, Beyond the Black Rainbow, which felt indulgent to me, too. Just a little. My tagline for Beyond the Black Rainbow would be downstream color, because it felt like he had watched uh, upstream color and just said, I I just feel like being weirder. Um, I, 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 I totally respect Tom's... Uh, opinion when he when he says somebody is a visionary. Uh, well, and, and also beyond the like beyond the black rainbow predates upstream color. I mean, I, I don't. Oh, it does. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, by several years. Like that, that. That's the thing is, this guy hasn't made a movie for like ten years or so. This is, I didn't. Yeah. I did not realize that. Okay. Yeah. And dead Deadwood. 
what's the name of the Kurt Russell Tombstone? Tombstone paid for Beyond the Black Rainbow Dingus because did you know that? Was that? His dad. Like, that was his yeah, dad. Yeah, it was his dad. Right, right, right. So oh, the like, residuals he... off of uh, Tombstone made Black Rainbow. So there's I a did yeah. not know that. No. But Dingus is right though. I mean, they're in the same. They're, they're you know upstream color. Shane Carruthers is is doing a very similar thing, but with Trance-like, a, but... with a much lighter touch. I, I think. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think Shane Carruthers it does it has a much lighter touch, and he's. And he's got characters that are more interesting to me. His themes um, are more complex too. Right. Like I don't think Mandy's a complex theme. Right. <laughs> well, I I had a hard time with Beyond the Black Rainbow because the guy just had just seemed like weird hair, weird weird facial makeup. Uh, it just seemed like it was weird for weird's sake. And then the ending just with the dudes at the campfire i'm like what are you doing what what's going on here by the way you um, can see those dudes waltzed in from those are the kind of dudes that would enjoy mandy like you can see there's yeah. sort of that continuity <laughs> just crazy just stoner, crazy stoner rockers who are into like 70s prog yeah. rock or something you can totally see the continuity there like i want uh, to make a movie they would like right <laughs> <laughs> and they love mandy um so i uh, you know there were i just I couldn't get into this thing. I I tried. Uh, I always try with every movie to get into it, even if even if I saw Beyond the Black Rainbow. I'm still going to watch this with fresh eyes. Um, by we the way, this drugs is produced, together. produced by Elijah Wood. Really? Who's that? Uh, I think, as a matter of fact, Nicholas Cage said Elijah Wood put him in touch with Panos Cosmatos. Yeah. Um, yeah. Will Ferrell gave us Succession. So I also just don't understand. Both movies being in 1983 and having Reagan stuff in both of them. Because they're like uh, 80s movies. Yeah. It's like what what he pictured those movies. He said about Beyond the Black Rainbow is like he'd see uh, the covers on VHS tape boxes for movies like Beyond the Black Rainbow and picture what they were like. <laughs> Beyond the Black Rainbow is like what he thought they would be like, which is but, maybe a dumb reason to make a movie. To. But I yeah, think but. that as predictable as this movie is and how it becomes a revenge movie um, – I think Tom's on the right track in saying that if it had been cast properly, at least with the lead, because I think Andrea Riceborough is great in it. Um, I like, I love the uh, a lot of the other actors in it. Yeah, I like um, the kid, the teenager, the one who rolls the window up and down. I like him I'm, a lot. I'm fine with most of them, and they they remind me of of guys who might have played Bob in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of them do. I, I, ke- I kept thinking, did David Lynch cast this movie? Um, except for Nicolas Cage. And I think that that's the major hindrance for me because him just glaring and goofing at the camera was just too much for me. I, I, I mean... You've seen it before. I find, yeah. I find Nicolas Cage amusing, but not amusing enough to... Uh, Not to get speed. on to get on board for this, so I the, think Tom is right in that. In that, in and that you way. can see too how it's going to fall apart. The vodka in underwear scene. I don't because yeah. that's again. Panos Cosmatos has put that wallpaper up, and he's got the tiger shirt on. And yeah. Like I, I, I know the guy has in his head the scene is amazing, but he just yeah. lets Nicolas Cage do his crazy Nicolas Cage stuff over it. And I, it, sure, but then you get to watch that. You get to watch Nicolas Cage ruin the movie. So that's the entertainment. You should well, be enjoying. well. <laughs> here's the thing, though. Uh, James Miller again. This our writer inner who thinks this is the best movie in the last five years. Uh, compares that to the apocalypse now 
um, scene. Re-release? Oh. No. The, oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. The, Martin the scene Sheen with movie. Martin Sheen, like, freaking out in the hotel room. That that bathroom scene is... is <laughs> he wishes. ...is a comparison for him. I mean, I, and, I, and I get I, it. I think the Apocalypse Now comparison is, is dead on because it's that same thing. Yeah. It's this hero's right. journey into darkness, and he becomes the darkness that he's either investigating or fighting against or op- opposed to. Uh, it's how, you know, you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares into you. Right? Like, it's that it, whole concept uh. of a normal guy, although I guess Martin Sheen at the opening of Apocalypse Now isn't necessarily a normal guy, but it's this whole descent into madness and converting mm-hmm. the hero thing. It's uh, the same thing where you picture the director before the shot going, okay, crew, we don't know what he's going to do, so stand right. back. <laughs> but here's the thing, though, is there's no progression from there. I mean, he's just like... Oh, wait, I know, I know. There's a part of right. that that I love where, again, and I, I, I just... I think you could do a fan. I think I could do a fan edit of this, where I just cut out all of Nicolas Cage's excesses because when he stumbles <laughs> in from being outdoors, and I, I think that that Cheddar Goblin commercial is freaking inspired for yeah. how ominous it is and for yeah. how it's reflecting his state of mind after he after yeah. what he's just seen. Something as simple as a macaroni and cheese commercial is ominous and evil, yeah. and I love and Panasco's motto is like that's. I think he's credited in the credits. Mm. Like he shot that little commercial. Um, I no. And and I, I love Nicolas Cage watching that and muttering Cheddar Goblin. Like when he just says the word yeah. Cheddar Goblin, like he that's like it's wormed into his head and it's now this part this darkness that's infecting him and is burbling yeah. out onto his lips. That's a great moment and Nicolas Cage doesn't have to scream. And I just wish we'd gotten more of that before we get to the point where we have to actually modulate his voice at the end of the movie to make him sound different than he was when he was yelling. Like right. I, I just it, there were, there, this could have worked, but I think it needed someone to rein in Nicolas Cage or it needed someone besides Nicolas Cage. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you bring up that because I, I found that so disturbing and weird and disgusting, but ultimately it drew my attention. Um, and to, to the point that uh, one of the writing credits for this movie is given to a guy named Chris Kelly, um, who is just credited for writing the Cheddar Goblin ad. Ah, okay, right. And that, yeah, and that's great. Uh, that, that Cheddar Goblin rising slowly out of the, the macaroni yeah. and cheese uh, and just staring into the camera for way too long. Like, that's, that's what that's 80s commercials movie. were like. Uh, they had well, that, weird animations and crazy music. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that also, like, Dingus... what they were selling. Dingus wondering, like, what's the deal with 1983? Like, this yeah, and, yeah. and Beyond the Black Rainbow. And I, I think what Penos Cosmanos is doing, and, you know, I'm probably the same age as him, is he's just remembering how he saw the world back then and how Uh. it was strange and weird to him. And he's expressing that using movies. And I love that about him because I was the same way. Like I remember, I I remember the band kiss was always like scary and weird to me and I didn't get it. And now I'm grown up and I'm like, you guys are doofuses wearing that makeup. They're ridiculous. But as a kid, I found that disturbing and I didn't know what to make of it. They were supernatural. And I think Panos Cosmatos is just taking that kind of, this kid's reaction to the weirdness of those early 80s, which were bleeding out of the late 70s, uh, and he's just expressing that on film. Um, and the Frazetta covers, too. That's really interesting because we have a, a listener named uh, John Thomas Mason who equates this to Italian horror movies. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I can sort of see that. I mean, not, he, says not he, in- he, has this, he has this friend, Keith, who introduced him to him, and, and he, he just thinks that. Uh, that 
this movie has a lot in common with what Italians were doing for horror at that time. Well, certainly like early Dario Argento, like with Suspiria and stuff, I can definitely see that with this the the super the saturated color. Um, like the Italians had their own weird quality, uh, but yeah, I can definitely see that connection. Yeah. The saturated yeah. color thing is is why I chose um, Only God Forgives because it seems overwhelmingly just it, it seems. Uh, <laughs> I, I hate to say this, but Beyond the Black Rainbow felt like a student movie because of some of the acting and some of that – the way <laughs> that he does this this oversaturated color stuff because uh, that's, uh, that's a student movie joke. Uh, yeah. the, one of the differences, though, with Beyond the Black Rainbow, and I guess we'll, we'll get into some of this now, is uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow w- was, A, weird, but, B, it was so focused on – I mean, it was almost a one-man show with that guy Michael Rogers, who I feel yeah. when we talk before, you know, I've talked before about when a director and a writer and an actor are in tune with each other. I feel that Michael Rogers completely got what Panos Cosmatos was wanting him to do, and mm. it, it was weird and it made no sense. But he, he was the through line. He begins as this, this drab. Um, like he runs a wellness clinic, a self-help doctor thing, and he becomes he becomes gradually dehumanized until the end of the movie when he's just a complete freak, and the actor carries us along on that progression that Panos Cosmatos mm. has written. And I don't know who he is. Yeah. That's the substance of Beyond the Black Rainbow is watching this guy and then contrasting him to this beautiful young girl who's got these. Uh, unspecified powers and wondering what's their relationship and when she gets loose you know what's going to happen when they meet but it's so focused on just that actor being weird as as the as the weirdness was written for him uh and with that same weird blandness of that that mix of blandness and ominousness with that cheddar goblin commercial some of the same like in, the, the, the instructional videos from the Institute and stuff early on in Beyond the Black Rainbow have that same quality. Like there's something mm. really disarming and, and ominous about this, but it's it, it's trying to look so bland and friendly. And um, So I, I feel that Beyond the Black Rainbow has a, a much more limited focus. It's got a lot more unpredictability, but it's carried by an actor who I think really understands what Panos Cosmatos is trying to do. Um, mm. And, and yeah. yeah. So, uh, have you guys seen a movie called Mom and Dad? No. So, uh, I'm hearing. The Nevin Dean and Taylor, the guys who did the, the um, no, not Switch. What was the, the uh, Jason Statham and Electricity movies? Not Snap, Crank. Switch. Crank, right. Thank Something you. Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, 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 the, one of the two people who did the, the Crank movies, his name is Brian Taylor, and he was working with this Evan Dean fella, and then they split off and did their own things. And Brian Taylor, Taylor's standalone movie from last year, he did it on his own. It's called Mom and Dad, and it's with Nicolas Cage, uh, and it's basically a zombie movie. Um, and it, Brian Taylor knows exactly how to use Nicolas Cage. And it's great. It's brilliant. I watched it again last night. I think it's a it's a, a great take on the whole zombie mythology. Uh, it's smart. It's funny. It's concise. You can imagine how well it's paced, being from one of the guys who did Crank. And most importantly, Nicolas Cage contributes to it rather than detracting from it. Uh, huh. So I, I recommend Mom and Dad uh, if I you want to see. I wonder how. I wonder how he, how old is that? Do you know? Mom and Dad's from last year. I wonder how he. Did, I wonder if it's it's a matter of being able to like sort of 
you know, sometimes you have to cajole somebody to do something uh, or massage their personality instead of bullying them. Or uh, I wonder how you corral Nicolas Cage. Uh, well, well, first, I think first of all, you have to have material that is is written or suits him. <laughs> uh, uh, I yeah. think you have to start with Juicy. that. He's going to be Nicolas Cage no matter what. Uh, yeah. He wants to scream. He really does. He really does. Right in a little yeah. bit of screaming. Yeah. Um, like Paul Schrader's last Played movie, not the, the movie before the priest one he did with uh, Ethan Hawke, is uh, also he's stuck with Nicolas Cage trying to do a sort of a Goodfellas crime drama. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can imagine how that turned out, and what you imagine is pretty much exactly right. Okay. Uh, but Superman, I'm kind of bummed that didn't happen. <laughs> it would be great to have a screaming Superman. I'm from Krypton! <laughs> so you guys you guys mentioned you liked uh, Andrea Riseborough. Um, that's another issue I have with this movie. If you were going to name a movie <laughs> after a character... And not an axe... And not an axe. I love Dingus' <laughs> take on that. that. No, no. If Dingus, if, <laughs> I if liked they, it. They could have got – if they wanted to name the movie Mandy and he, he transferred it. this idea of, of his obsession on her to the axe, that would have worked for me, Dingus. If they'd made it clear that the axe is named Mandy, I would have been thumbs up. But She's if you want to name your movie after a character, it needs to be a character and not a plot device. And here's my other issue with uh, Mandy. As a revenge uh, movie, she's just a prop. I don't think they do. I love her, and I don't care. You give her – fine. You, they gave her a, a monologue about her childhood. That's not enough to make a character. She's a prop, mm. and she gets – you know. there's this term of refrigerating the woman. She gets refrigerated yep. just for – to incite the main character onto his journey. And I feel like it, the movie doesn't care about her, so why would you name the movie her name? Uh, that, don't, that bothers me. I don't understand that either. And Brian Becker says the, the the thing too, the woman in the fridge thing, and uh, you know Chris Markerson says something about like she seemed like she was going to be revealed as some sort of monster from the Cthulhu myth, myth, mythos, but she never does. She just doesn't come back. Yeah. So she, you know, and so, somebody else said, "Why is she in a bag?" I mean, you're absolutely right. Why would they name it that? Yeah, why is she in a bag? So we can't – so it's easier to shoot it? <laughs> well, there's yeah, something – that, that's uh, kind of uniquely horrific, I, I thought. Is yeah, being burned, it is. Being smothered can't in a, see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he doesn't know it's her necessarily. Of course like he does. Be, I mean there's none of that. There's no ambiguity there. He, he clearly knows she's being burned in the bag. Um, yeah. But I, I also don't like – like I – Andrea Riseborough is so good. I, so I just watched a movie called Nancy. Uh, with and- Andrea Riseborough loves being in movies that are just her character's name. Uh, <laughs> with Andrea Riseborough and J. Cameron Smith, who, oh my god, I so love J. Cameron Smith. She's uh, Kenneth Lonergan's wife. She's been. So the last few movies I've seen J. Cameron Smith in, she's played the mother to t- the titular character. The titular character is uh, a woman. So the last three J. Cameron Smith movies, well, Margaret. Wait, Chris, slow down. Yes. J. Cameron Smith or Jake Cameron Smith? Oh, J, letter J, and then Cameron. Those are her f- – uh, okay. I, I think Thank Cameron you. Smith might be – I think it's J. Cameron, and then her last name is Smith. She didn't take okay. Lonergan's last name. Um, but she's the mother in Margaret. She's also oh. Re- Rebecca Hall's mother in the movie Christine, where Rebecca Hall plays Christine Chudik. And she's Andrea Risenborough's mother, quote-unquote, in the movie Nancy, where Andrea Risenborough plays 
uh, Nancy. So J. Cameron Smith movies, Margaret, Christine, and Nancy, <laughs> which I've seen recently. Uh, and, and so uh, in Nancy, Andrea Riseborough, and it's all about her, she's, she's great. It's great watching her. She's a, a, a really talented actress, and there's one. it ends with the scene of an actor driving away in a car, and the director, in this case a woman I think named uh, Christine Coe, uh, just shooting the actress's face while she drives away. And boy, Andrea Rosborough can do that just fine. Um, but why? In this, she's playing. She's playing like this closed-off weirdo with a horror show for a hairdo, and I don't understand why. She likes books. She's a reader. She's married to Nicolas Cage. She likes lumberjacks. Why make her so That's like her weird and closed off though? Like. Like, make her I, – I didn't understand that. I, I mean, I don't want to tell someone how to write his or her character, but – She's just, just quiet, Tom. <laughs> she's not closed off. She's just uh, – she you, you, you talked about switching um, uh, Nicolas Cage and Lance Roach. I think you should have switched to Nicolas Cage with her. And had her be oh the, sure right yeah, yeah sure yeah. had him be burned in a bag and have her like right. make a sword and and kill everybody and that's what by the way that's one he of the things hurts. that uh, that uh, the this woman Fargeet gets in the movie Revenge Belgian woman oh. is uh, right. yeah don't don't you know the dude doing the revenge you know have the woman do it and make it really cool about her yeah. have her kick ass when her husband gets killed or her whatever her tree cutting dude and then she has to pick up the chainsaw i mean i mean think of the things that you could have done with that i mean that would be totally cool and she can handle it i mean uh, she's got the she's just got this great face she's got these great eyes uh she could totally handle that but of course Nicolas cage bullied his way through but well i also it doesn't matter yeah i don't think that cosmos uh panos cosmatos has uh I don't get the sense that he's trying to do anything socially progressive or even relevant or aware. Like, I feel like he's really wanting to make these throwbacks to 80s weirdness. So, Dingus, I agree with you. Like, that would have made a more interesting movie, and that's exactly one of the reasons that Revenge is so good. Uh, uh, but I don't think Panos Cosmatos had any interest in subverting anything. He just wanted to make this rock mythic legends, legends like saga. Uh and unfortunately, he got saddled with a celebrity who was just going to yell throughout it. So God, I wish I would have known. I, w- I wish I would have caught any of that heavy metal stuff. Do that, you know King Crimson? That you like, and no, because that opening song too. Like if you know who King, so King Crimson is our British progressive rock band, and they're kind of like, like what if Pink Floyd was never successful? <laughs> you know, King Crimson <laughs> is like that, and they've been plugging away at it forever. And that early King Crimson song, I love that, and it's playing over the trees. And uh, I forget who you said said it looks like an album cover, but there's very much this sense of a 70s uh, album cover uh, and with well, that song yeah. playing and certainly with the the little animated title cards that he uses like those are very album cover or yeah. crazy fantasy novel cover. Um, but that King Crimson song, which I love that for me was like right on the right right away. I'm like, OK, I, I whatever you want to do that you're going to open with this song. Let's go for that. I can totally see that now that you say it, and even the the forging of that weird uh, axe thing yeah. 
I can I can totally see that now because I have the the experience, and this is sad, but the experience I have with those album covers is being in Jesus camps, um, and being shown them and told why these are of the devil and why you shouldn't don't play these backwards or you'll kill yourself. <laughs> no, that, that literally happened. That might be a joke, but that literally happened at the at the at the <laughs> youth group things that I went to. They would hold up those album covers. Really. And, and oh yeah, yeah. Th- this is this is a real thing. This is that's a real thing. What about Dungeons uh, and Dragons books? Cause you they, know about were, that. I, I wasn't right. allowed to play that because of Jesus. Uh, so James Miller is the one who brought up the album cover. And by the way, Alex Burdens um, uh, did ask. Uh, you know, he fi- he found Mandy mesmerizing her, that actress, um, and. He also wanted to know why is she in a bag on fire. She, he's the one who said that. And under that, I put this personal note for myself. Like, isn't that a little more horrifying that she's in there and we can't see her? Is it more horrifying that she's in the bag, or would it be more horrifying watching her burn? Uh, so I, depends. I think, it, for her, it's more horrifying. <laughs> I think it's probably also it's a, it's a facet of of. Uh, what they can do with the production like once you yeah. try to put yeah. either cg fire or or a practical effect uh you're basically removing it from the humanity of the actor anyway once you do that so why not uh, just go all out and just make it a writhing bag because we remember what andrea riseborough looks like we remember how okay. she and nicholas cage felt about each other so if you're going to substitute in a dummy or do something with cg fire you're already screwing it up so you know what just don't even do that put her in a bag like I, I liked that decision because any hmm. other movie like eli roth would have made some stupid cg effect of somebody's face melting yeah uh, and i just i thought that that sleeping bag bit was chilling uh, it's creepier too to see like someone like writhing sluggishly in the bag as she realizes what's going on you can't see her well, face and also, you just have to also picture it not screaming like she's either yeah, gagged or she's i don't know i don't know why she doesn't scream i also don't know hmm. and i'm glad i don't know like i was there any implication that she was raped? Uh, unclear. But so, Jeremiah likes to have sex, but he's never he's never seemed uh, stimulated. <laughs> we saw. Uh, the first time I, I saw it, because I've, I've watched this twice. The first time I saw it, I didn't think there was. But the second time I saw it, it is notable. And I actually don't think that this necessarily implies there's a rape. Um, but when he goes in to the house after he gets himself loose and he picks up that shirt that says 44 that's the shirt that she was wearing when right. she starts laughing at linus roach so at uh. some point she's either stripped and put in the bag and i don't think that there was necessarily a rape because i love as, as a bit of writing i love how mandy completely undercuts yeah. jeremiah by laughing right. at him that was fantastic and i the, one of the reasons too there's no rape is he couldn't get it up like she completely yeah. emasculated him and that yeah. was a beautiful right. moment by laughing at him and ridiculing him uh, he wouldn't want to rape her after that and he couldn't rape he her couldn't and he has to go to the mirror and sort of reinforce himself yeah. and all he can I'm do cool. at that point is a murder <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah. I do think that she was stripped down because he's got to get the shirt and wear it. Uh, but I don't think that there was any implication that, that she was raped oh. or anything. Yeah. Um, the opposite. And it, it, it reminds me, too, of because this is also the quintessential movie of this type, this sort of revenge movie, uh, Virgin Spring, where when the bandits accost Max von Sydow's daughter, uh, and there is a rape in that, uh, them stripping her clothes off – and this is a movie from – 
1960 or something, and where, where they it couldn't be graphic, but it's super disturbing watching them take her clothes off, and it's very much like skinning a hunted animal uh, oh. in, in Virgin Spring, uh, and it's far more disturbing than anything graphic that someone like you know, some 70s rape exploitation director or Eli Roth would do. It's very disturbing watching this this woman who gets dressed up to go to church having these this clothes peeled off of her the way that an animal would be skinned. Um, well, so doesn't I, the, the line that was my favorite church, I mean, this is a Chris Markinson, like uh-huh. heavy sigh moment. Yep. Doesn't that undercut all that? It does until the final scene. Because oh. we see in the final scene when he first meets her, He's wearing the shirt. It was his favorite shirt, and he gave it to her. It was his shirt. She wears it, and then when he says that line, that was my favorite shirt, you're like, no, that was Mandy's shirt. And then the reveal at the end when we find out him fondly recalling when they first met, that was his shirt. He was wearing it. Uh, I wondered wondered the same thing. It's just his crappy line reading then. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would go with that dingus, yeah. That was my favorite shirt. Right, I mean, it, it, it does like... sound like a quip, exactly, in yeah. an action yeah. movie. Absolutely, dingus. But I think it's something that Panos Cosmatos wrote in there that would be called back. It would be reinforced at the end with his recollection of the meeting. Yeah. Um, but they're not the same person in, in, in the car when they're together in the car and switching places of the car or whatever. That's not a... Uh... He's not Mandy or something. You den- generally don't wear girlfriend's shirt, though. Sure you do. <laughs> they <laughs> wear mine. That's the thing. Is she uh, wore it. Was yeah, it was his shirt. She wore it, and then he took it back after she got murdered. Yeah. So Marcus wants wear... to know if the animation was to avoid Andrea Riseborough being nude. I I I mean, I, it sounds to me. My guess, and I don't know, is that Panos Cosmatos has a friend who does a lot of drawings, and he was like, "Hey, could you do some cool animated <laughs> yeah. sequences for me?" And I'm okay cool with that, by you. the way. I'm totally yeah. okay with that. Uh, I yeah, because getting in the, with this whole thing of like you know heavy metal magazine and the movie heavy metal, I'm fine with these little animated interludes when he's sleeping or when he's imagining uh, Mandy as a warrioress or whatever. Uh, but it did seem like. Yeah, one of Panos' friends was an illustrator. <laughs> and if you watch heavy metal in Beyond the Black Rainbow, wasn't there? I don't. Was there? I don't. Not that I recall. By who? Wait, I remember there be there was a book with pictures. No, in it, she wasn't there? she picks a book. She she put pushes a button. The the one of the 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 older woman. Yeah, right? and, and she pulls the a book out, and it has a bunch of drawings in it. And then she leaves oh, her oh, cigarette. Right. Ash right, but it's not an animated sequence. But yeah, you're right. There's a bunch of artwork in that dingus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. that's what I mean. Animated. Just I mean, I don't mean animated. I mean because going off of what you said about he he must have a friend who right. draws. <laughs> who did that sequence in Beyond the Black Rainbow? Have you seen Heavy Metal the movie in the last twenty years? I have. Yes. God, the animation's terrible. It doesn't hold up at all. Like, at the time, was that cutting edge animation or was it just the R-rated animation? I think that was that cutting edge at the time. Like that Ralph. Bakashi stuff or uh, but if you look at Richard Corbin illustrations in the magazine and then you look at Heavy Metal the movie it's it's a it's a jarring right. drop so yeah well, there's a rough quality to it yeah I'll definitely concede yeah Fire and Ice looked better uh, is this is, this is two women who support Donald Trump on YouTube ah what <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh, I love Bill Duke. I love that scene. Uh, the guy who named Richard Brake, who plays the LSD uh, manufacturer, yeah. uh, he's great in a terrible Rob Zombie movie called 31, where he plays uh, the 
the lead psycho clown. I love Richard Brake in that, even though that movie's terrible. Um, uh, the the Ned Dennehy fellow, I've seen him a lot. He's he was great. Uh, See, lots yeah. lots to like, isn't there? Uh, Brian Becker wanted to know, based on um, what you guys felt about uh, a recent movie, if the two of you had any ideas of whether or not this was a comedy. <laughs> uh, what, what I'm not a label. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Parts think of it. it. Uh, I don't. Th- yeah, I think he takes everything pretty Come on. seriously. Like, what? What do you think? Nicholas. Nicholas Cage screaming. Uh, kind of no, wicker man. I think, I think he's just talking about how you interpreted Upgrade. Um, as a well, comedy. Upgrade definitely had comedic uh, moments, so I think the director was clearly making things for to be funny. I don't think Cheddar Panos, Goblin. Yeah, I don't think Panos Cosmatos did that to be funny. I don't think Cheddar Goblin's supposed to be funny. As a matter of okay. fact, I would be hard pressed to think: Are there any jokes in this or Beyond the Black Rainbow? There might be, and I'm just not uh, remembering them. But are there? I laughed a lot during both movies. So well, there's certainly a, a either comedies. <laughs> There's an absurdity to it, but I don't know that there are any jokes in these movies. There might be. I don't think so either. I think that I think that that, I think you're right to call it absurdity because, you know, in Black Rainbow, I I there there's this sequence where they keep saying um, that's wonderful, wonderful. The one the word wonderful keeps coming up, Mm -hmm. and Black Rainbow was already reminding me of 2001, and and I was wondering if he was kind of dropping that as, but I don't think that's a joke. I just think that he, he makes references to other directors or he at least is paying homage to other directors. I I think to, if you want to know Panos Cosmatos sense of humor and the kind of joke. So I, have got the, I think I've done this with you guys. I have this, this idea of an existential knock, knock joke where you just say, knock, knock, (laughs) who's there. Hey, it's Tom. What are you doing? Can I come in? Like an existential knock-knock joke is just saying that. Uh, in this, I think Panos Cosmatos' sense of humor is that knock-knock joke about Eric Estrada in that the joke is it's not a joke. <laughs> like that there's right. no joke there. It's just a, a current, a contemporary reference. He's saying it as part of a goofing around with his girlfriend. Foreplay. Uh, yeah, foreplay, right. But I think that right there is – That's what Panos Cosmatos thinks of jokes is <laughs> knock-knock who's there, Eric Estrada – from chips yeah but i think i think uh labels are a hang-up i think if you cat try to categorize whether upgrades a comedy or not it's you're wasting your time well the only like, thing it's with either upgrade, funny or it's not right know. right but the thing with upgrade there were definitely things that made no sense that were nonsense that that uh were ridiculous and i, I my point about upgrade is it's aware of the ridiculousness and it's doing it mm. for comedic value the stuff with the hacker the stuff there about, are one-liners I, I know kung fu yeah there's one-liners exactly uh and this you might find laughably bad. I can certainly understand that. But I don't think anything Panos Cosmatos was doing here was intended to be humorous. I think um, if you have Nicolas uh, Cage in your movie, you've got a comedy whether you want it or not. I mean, I'm telling you guys, point. see Mom and Dad. Mom right. and Dad is freaking hell- – Brian Taylor, and I think he wrote it too. Uh, it's, it's a comedy. It's an absolutely spot-on, pitch-perfect comedy. It's the Mordecai of Nicolas Cage. There you go, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> so one of one of our writers in us, Brian Becker, he he's talking about this Japanese filmmaker named Seijun Suzuki. Either of you heard of him? I do not. No. Know. Yeah. What? I like. I like. All right. Japanese versions of Mandy, though. But he's talking about the this idea of this hyper stylized and for him nearly incoherent experimental films. Uh-huh. Um. 
And he says, Panos Cosmatos reminds him, uh, uh, reminds me of him, except Panos had a subscription to heavy metal as a kid <laughs> and decided to wrap this around a grindhouse plot on his own volition. That's a great yeah. way to put it, because I imagine that this is how a lot of anime might look to people. Like, like when I look yeah. at anime, I'm like, what? This is not for me. It makes no sense. I can imagine, yeah, that's it, that anime plays the same way. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I'd like that, too, just as a concept, like, like well, I don't care if it makes sense. Like, that's not why I'm doing it. Like, I like that as a decision as a director. Like, especially if it's horror. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, back and, to labels again. <laughs> and even, like, I think some of the writing in this is great. Like, I, I, that line yeah. about the psychotic drowns where the mystic swims, that's lovely. And that, yeah. that, that someone other than Nicolas Cage needs to be muttering that. And that's a great thing to say to the guy who thinks that he's a prophet before you kill him. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I just think, and, and the goofy stuff, like Horn of Abraxas, what does that even mean? I love I how ridiculous that sounds. Yeah. But how seriously, of course, the cult feels about it. Uh, yeah, I. Brexus is a fertility. See, you want to like it, but you can't. You hate I really Nicholas do. Cage I really do. Too much to like the movie, and it's. I mean, I, you. the thing is, it's for me. This is clearly the kind of movie right. for you and me, Kelly Wand. Uh, but Nicholas Cage. And I Cage, accept it. I, and you accept it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I accept the bluff. Uh, you know, the thing is, I think that I think Tom is spot on about the casting because. I would have loved that whole sequence where they're talking about Jupiter and Saturn with a different actor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I liked it. That's the thing. They're just – because if you're with someone a long time, you kind of talk in those monotones and you say less because you just know each other. And for that's all we know, that's something they say a lot to each other, like talk about planets or something. That's kind of dumb shit. Like, no, it implied I like to me that, like a, a long familiarity. Like oh, I like that dialogue. I just don't want Nicolas Cage saying it to her. I don't believe him. I don't believe what says, he's doing. I mean, I just know how he talks, and so I know how he's going to say any line. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. it's like I can't – I don't focus on his delivery. I just focus on the line if it's what I – whose voice I know that well, which is probably a stupid way to look at movies. So I can't be trusted. But without Nicolas Cage, it would have been a different movie. I think we can all agree on that. Well, and I think that's um, the movie that Panos Cosmatos wanted to make, too. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason that he didn't offer Nicolas Cage the role of... of uh, I didn't even realize the character's name was Red Miller. Yeah, either. she doesn't call him that. I don't no think anybody's called- name. Yeah, I guess Jeremiah and Mandy, Brother Swan. I guess they do have names. Um, what is what Bill Duke's character's sure? name? Is he a name? kid? No, Bill Which Duke, what? The, the, the black guy who gives him his crossbow and his, his, those two bolts. Oh, The uh, black guy. I mean, he's the guy... He's... <laughs> You guys, he's from Predator. Come no, on. I know who he is, Dingus. I'm asking no. what's the character's name. Bill Duke. His name is but... Carruthers. Oh, really? Okay, he should have had a cooler name. It's like the fat Lance Reddick. No, Wait, Bill same. Duke? No, Bill Duke looks no, awfully drawn. I was actually a little worried shrunk. about Bill yeah, Duke's health was... looking at him in this. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Yeah, he's a withdrawn fine. Lance Reddick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, I mean, so, for Nicolas Cage ovoir, this is high end. It's just you, if he had been in it, it would have been high end uh, Cosmatos. Sure, that's sure. what you. I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Dingus is like, I don't care what it is. Get away from me. <laughs> it's not for Dingus. Ha uh, <laughs> We've made yeah. Dingus see beyond the black rainbow. Though. I'm proud of him, and he watched it. He could have just turned it off halfway. We knew he wasn't gonna like it. I never expected that. Like I, it's just uh, fun to 
not for dingus watching movies. I got so upset watching it. I got so oh, upset. I also had to watch the, How about the Johan Johansson soundtrack? Like, I loved that really plaintive motif, I guess, for Mandy. Like, and yeah. it was the guy died after this, which is really sad. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I loved his music. I and especially. Just that really slow Mandy theme or whatever. Like I love that. That was really haunting. Yeah. Um, Although something Dingus, when Dingus said Hereditary was over, I remember thinking, I kind of wish all horror movies had Hereditary kind of music. It's just like annoying and dreadful and like something shitty's about gonna gonna happen. Well, Keep but watching. you know the music here is very much is very much situating it in the the time period it, with the King oh, yeah. it, and the it King feels Crimson like is, John Carpenter music to me. Yeah, it's um, all Yeah, but with a little more sexiness to it. Like Carpenter stuff is a little like anodyne, but uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dingus, very synthy and heavy. Um, do you do you guys know? And Dingus, you do you know the other time that King Crimson was used to fantastic effect in a movie? There's a King Crimson song called Moonchild. Does that ring any bells for you guys? No, I you're, don't know. What you're you're next. No. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty obscure. There's an amazing sequence, and I'm I'm only I, I know this because I I there's a terrible horror movie called Oh shoot Disruption. Uh, it's with Christina Ricci, and she's being <laughs> mind controlled by the government, and John Cusack is a hacker who tries to save her. And it's how do awful. I not know about this? I know. Wait, Christina Ricci, talk about looking drawn. Christina Ricci has lost a ton of weight, and she doesn't look anything like Christina Ricci anymore, which is really sad. But yeah. in a movie called Buffalo '66, there's a beautiful yes. moment in a bowling alley where she's yes. losing interest in Vincent Gallo rolling bowling yeah. balls, and she twirls off to a side and does a tap dance to a King Crimson yeah. song called Moonshot. Child. Oh, uh, right. That's the song. Yeah, I love that scene, and I love that song, too. Uh, and that's fun, sexy, voluptuous, uh, kind of almost chubby, but she's not great in a bad in way. Yeah, yeah. No, she's, she's beautiful. As opposed to skinny Christina Ricci. I, I agree with you. Yeah, she, I like a little meat on my Ricci. Kill you on. <laughs> uh. Bubble 66 is such the wrong movie to appreciate that in, because Gal is such a fuckwad to her in the movie. Yeah, like, yeah. I can't lust for her. Look how abrupt she's got it. Well, just watch her. That, just oh. watch that scene. Just divorce it from the movie. And uh, no, I know it's a great yeah. scene. Yeah. See, that's something that you would see at a if Nicholas Cage is at a tap dance in the <laughs> <laughs> on the car hood after he yeah. throws the axe at the dude. It's weird to watch vanity pieces by actors in their underwear, like who are. Totally out of shape and wretched, like, Ugh! but it's still a vanity piece. Like, <laughs> me act, we've already had a cock out in the movie. There yeah. shouldn't be underwears just running around. There's, everybody should be naked. What a pussy. Nobody just do it. it. Come yeah. on. Yeah. There should be dicks in more movies, I believe. I think okay. it's not fair. Nope, then like you, get, bigger... you get your NR. You're not rated. Yep. Well, it, but why is that? Like an NR. Kelly Wan, you can't show a penis in a movie. Uncool. Like Batman just showed his penis in a comic book, and people flipped out, so they took it out of it. They, you they can like show a penis in a movie, you just can't show an erect one. I don't get that either. Why is that a role? Because it's porn? If you look at, but women, when they see an erect penis in a movie, they don't go, oh, that makes me horny. And when we see it, it doesn't do anything. So, like, who's... I don't understand why... That's bad. Because if I was a kid, I'd go, what? And then you'd learn about it that way. Like, oh, yeah, I learned it. Thanks, Watchmen. When's it turn blue? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Kelly, have you read – have either of you read any any Clive Barker? Yeah. I've read Shitless. He's great. He kind of jumped the shark. He's good in the 80s, and then he kind of started getting a little – 
Well, then this like, probably more about relationships. <laughs> I like it as well. Then this is appropriate because Alex Burns, in in addition to, well, he says the Clive Barker motorcycle monsters. <laughs> oh yeah, like oh. a Ryan Rex kind of thing. He also calls this movie a joy to watch, and he watched it with his sister. Fuck yeah! <laughs> I watched this on a date. What easily? Mandy would be a good date movie for the right couple. I don't know. Not probably for you and Alexandra, but for me and Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand, I, I accept. Accept my bluff. <laughs> I had some uh, other joke. All right. To... Oh, yeah. Dude, while you think of your other joke, let me tell the listeners what we're doing next week. <laughs> yeah, all right. Will if help you me have watched a movie and seen someone play him <laughs> or herself in that movie. Don't forget the first condition. If you've seen a movie. Yeah, and you thought, yeah, hey, sorry. that was that was kind of cool. Send your favorite instances of someone playing himself to 3x3 at quarter3.com, and we'll read them for our next 3x3 show. Like uh, make Judy sure to... Dench and Shakespeare in Love would be a good choice. Does she right? play herself? Yeah. Who is Judy Dench in Shakespeare in Love? What was her relevance to the plot? She was Queen Elizabeth. So, so she was like Judy Dench playing Queen Elizabeth. Well, but she's the queen. Is she the queen of England? Judy Dench is the queen of she England. She doesn't know. She doesn't know she's in a horror movie in Shakespeare in Love. Uh, we none of us did, did we? Except uh, Judy Dench has been knighted, though. I guess, right? Isn't she a dame? Yeah, Matt, Matt, dame. Yeah, dame. Yeah. That's a weird. Like, you get called Sarah, and then the women just get called dame. <laughs> they get their own <laughs> seems name. Like, it doesn't seem very. It's too. very Dashiell Hammett, isn't it? Calling him. Should be Mademoiselle. Dead. There's nothing like a dame. As Dave, here comes that Dame Judy Dench over here. Is that how that would be said? So okay. send your picks to 3x3 <laughs> at quarter3.com. We will read them on the air when we do our favorite people playing themselves podcast. Uh, as I mentioned, Sunday, uh, let's see, September 30th, midnight. Get that to us by then. Uh, and then join us for that podcast next. So I am Tom Chick. Thanks for listening to us babble about Mandy. I've been here with Christian Murkransky. It's Christian Murawski. And of course we had Kelly Wand. Did Christine the car have a mother? I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night. I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees. I eat my lunch. I go to the lavatory. Dingus, after you summon demons and they do what you want them to do, they just hang around the house and watch porn. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have what eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Oregai Six. Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. So, Dingus, after you, I mean, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for all this fuss and muss.